You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. We are broadcasting, recorded from the Vivid Seats studio. Use promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. First time customers only. I'm super excited today because I realized, although we could kind of cover a few more things that are going on and we're going to have to touch on a few things that are not great actually let's just do it now jay sternberg is on ir and i'm very depressed about that yeah he can come back and that's cool and all that but uh you know that was my one prediction for the year my one bold prediction hey jace is going to take over at tight end by the end of the year he's not going to do that if you know jimmy's been getting in the, in the groove of this thing and everybody else is, is getting in the groove and jace isn't even back until week eight or nine or whatever Sad days. But Mr. Alan Lazard is back. I've seen the question raised. Uh, is he going to be brought into a tight end? I, I don't think so. Um, I, I can see the logic, and if it happens, that'd be kind of crazy and kind of neat. Um, they they haven't, you know, my, my initial thought is he's just next man up, right? In other words, they had as complicated and difficult a time trying to decide what to do at wide receiver between Shepard and Lazard and all that stuff, and Lazard was just the last one cut, so when a spot opened up, they're like, all right, let's put him on, because we wanted him on all along anyways. That's my initial thought on this, and he is a wide receiver. He's going to be a wide receiver, and, and the reason I'm not going to the point of saying, well, we lost a tight end, why not just put him at tight end? Well, you know, as I said, they're not the same position, and you can't just put receiving tight ends out at wide receiver because they're probably just not going to be very good wide receivers and you can't just put tall receivers at tight end because they're probably not going to be very good tight ends now is it possible yeah maybe he's got to be able to block and i know the the first thought well jimmy can't block dude he can block a lot better than uh a lot of people want to give him credit for especially compared to wide receivers compared to tight ends yeah he's probably not a very good blocker Compared to wide receivers, he is a all-world blocker. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's different. It's a, it's a different position, right? That, I mean, that, that, that was my whole thought process to begin with. If we're getting away from tight ends needing to block, and you look at Jimmy Graham, and you look at Jay Sternberg, and you say, well, these guys can't block, and then what, what are you looking for? Well, oh man, he runs a four-five. Dude, we got wide receivers. Look at, why, why doesn't Marquez play tight end? The guy's super tall. And as far as tight ends go, he would be the fastest tight end in human history by a lot. Like a 4-5 tight end is really fast. This guy's running in the 4-3s. Why not? He's tall. He can't block, but who cares? And he runs in the 4-3s. What, isn't that all? No, that's not all you need. 
If it was, Marquez could be a tight end, and he would be the greatest tight end in, in the world. Now, again, maybe it's going to happen. We'll see. Maybe it'll be a situation where they're just going to try it. I, I pointed out there was, uh, in one of the preseason games, I think Alan Lazard was one of our best run blockers on the entire team. So he's got some capacity to do it. But again, he's not blocking linebackers and he's not blocking defensive ends. He's blocking wide receivers. On week one, and this is a serious question, are you going to line him up across from Khalil Mack? And would he do anything but get in the way of Brian Balaga trying to stop him and just guarantee a sack? So again, my, my general thought is no, but maybe. Otherwise, not a whole lot of news going on. I know there's an injury report, and it looks depressing because the Bears have three guys and the Packers have 25, but about 19 of the 25 are full participation, so it's not that big of a deal. But today, if I haven't said the words yet, um, the way we typically, the way that I typically do it is the day before the game, we're going to start breaking down the opponent, and then the day of the game is going to be sort of, I don't know, expectations, strategies, who I think is going to win, all that stuff. And, and typically, I'm just going to pick the Packers because that's just how I'm going to roll with this, right? Positivity Sunday and whatnot. That's the general tentative plan. But either way, what I'm saying is we don't have time to talk about the Packers anymore. we got to break down the Bears or we're never going to do it. So that is on the agenda today. Anyways, let's take our uh, first break, and then we'll just dive into talking about the Bears. Offense, break, defense. Sound good? Good. Talk to you in a minute. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So I have talked ad nauseum about uh, Mitch Trubisky. I actually did an entire podcast about Mitch Trubisky. If you're new to the show, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that one if you really want to know. And I think you should if you haven't heard it, to be completely honest. I, I did a lot of work explaining why he's not as good as, as a lot of people make him out to be. Now, this isn't... Now, please understand, and I said this before, because I know how people think. And if he ends up having a good game or a good season, some people are going to come back at me and say, Oh, where are you at now? It's very simple, genius. I never once made any prediction about him in 2019. I gave a, a look back at what he was in 2018 and said he was not very good in 2018. And I'm trying to explain the narrative that he went from being terrible in 2017 to actually a pretty good quarterback in 2018 is false. I have also put the caveat out there that he has every tool available to be a good quarterback and he could turn the corner in 2019 however that's exactly what it would be if he has a good year it's not a continuation of a good year in 2018 it's a complete 180 from a pretty bad year the podcast is um june 24th it's called my last assault on trubisky this year maybe go into uh, all kinds of in-depth data to explain why surface-level data, like his high completion percentage, isn't giving us the full picture. In short, as I've said now a thousand times, and this is all backed up by the stats that you can find in that article that I, or that podcast that I referenced, PFF graded him as the 36th best quarterback in 2018. There are 32 teams that play in the NFL. 
I know Bears fans don't want to hear it, and I understand every fan base, when you say stats they don't like, say PFF is trash. They don't mind it as much when you say good stuff. They say it's trash when things aren't very good, and teams that fans of teams that are just bad in general hate PFF. I'm, I'm, I guarantee you there is a direct correlation between fans' appreciation of PFF and how highly they speak of, the, of your particular team. I saw somebody yesterday say something to the effect of uh, PFF grades aren't advanced stats, they are opinion. No, that's not necessarily true. As I pointed out, when you look at the advanced uh, metrics for the quarterback, the grades are based on advanced metrics. They have a 350-page document that lays out every single step a player takes and what what thing results in a particular grade. I'm not saying the grading scale is perfect. I don't think you can grade things perfectly. And I think that, that there is a better way to grade, and that is to be in the meeting room and understand what the assignments are. I get all that. But for a fan to sit back and say, I know my quarterback is better than what PFF says, because I sit on my couch drinking beer, eating nachos, and I saw Mitch Trubisky throw a quarterback, and I threw my nachos all over the living room and jumped up and cheered. Therefore, I know he's a good quarterback, and PFF is wrong, despite the fact that they have an army of people with a very strict criteria of grading quarterbacks, which is equal across all quarterbacks, so we can apply them equally, despite the fact that you want to say that you know that he's better than Rodgers, and he's better than Stafford, and he's better than all these guys that you've never even watched yes i'm going to reference pff and their grades not because i'm lazy but because you are and you think you know better than everybody else and you don't i'm going to trust the people that are putting in the work i actually applied to pff about five years ago i did do the work they did send me film and i did have to try to track every single movement of every single person and exactly where they are in the field and all this different stuff I know the amount of work and data that goes into this. Am I 100% positive that he is the 36th best quarterback or 37th best quarterback? No, I'm not. Could you use a different, slightly different criteria to maybe bump him up a bit? Probably. Am I comfortable in saying he's not a very good quarterback? You betcha. Which, by the way, Mitch it gets worse for Mitch. Because Mitch is a very, very good running quarterback. And that grade is based on his overall offensive ability, which includes his ability to run, which is above average. If you sort this list by your ability to pass a football, do you know what his rank is overall of all quarterbacks? Out of 49 quarterbacks, Mitch Trubisky graded out as 42nd. He graded out better than Chad Henney. Brian Hoyer, Matt Schaub, Jacoby Brissett, A.J. McCarron, Brock Osweiler, Garrett Gilbert, and Cody Kessler. And by the way, these are guys, some of whom played one or two snaps. If I sort this a little differently, Mitch Trubisky is the 34th best thrower out of 39. Better only than Brock Osweiler, Cody Kessler, Jeff Driscoll, Josh Rosen, and Ryan Tannehill. That's it. Quarterbacks that were graded better. Josh Allen. Lamar Jackson, Sam Darnold, Eli Manning, Blake Bortles, C.J. Beathard, Nick Mullins, Case Keenum, Jameis Winston. Are we getting the idea? These are not good quarterbacks. These are not quarterbacks that typically people want to debate how good they are. Nobody's going around saying, you know, I think Blake Bortles is getting the short end of the stick here. You know, I think Eli Manning, boy, I tell you what, people want to talk about him. He's got some talent. 
I actually think he's, even Giants fans aren't delusional enough to think he's a good quarterback. And again, Mitch Trubisky's only been in the league a couple years, and he didn't have a lot of experience in college, and it's his, it was his first year in the system last year in which there were improvements made. At least statistically, things looked better. PFF actually grade him slightly lower. He can turn this around. I'm not trying to get Packer fans overly excited or, or Bears fans overly down on the fact that he's going to have a bad year. But please understand, he was not a good quarterback, and um, the reason I'm going into this for the fourth or fifth time is because we're going to start with quarterback, and I'm going to start with the, the, the idea that, the notion that, they don't have a good quarterback. This is to our benefit in a very big way. Now, am I worried? Yes, I'm worried. I am worried because I respect Matt Nagy's offense. I respect Trubisky's arm. I respect Trubisky's legs. I respect the Bears' offensive line. I think the Bears' wide receivers are capable enough, although they are also overrated. Um, Their new running back, Montgomery, was maybe my favorite in the entire draft class. So I'm not saying I'm not scared of the Bears at all, and I will happily lay out all kinds of praise for this team, and I'm about to start doing that. So this isn't just a dump on the Bears fest. This is me trying to give an honest assessment, and I know this is a touchy subject, so I'm going to lay it out as as thick as I possibly can when I say Mitch Trubisky is not exactly what I'm afraid of. In fact, Mitch Trubisky is is one of the areas that can be exploited, which is something you got to look at. The Packers have been working really hard. at This is not going to be an easy game. In no way is this an easy game. If I'm going to be 100% honest, and I didn't necessarily want to lay this out there, I am probably slightly less than 50% positive we're going to win this game. In Chicago, the Bears with the second year under this coordinator, Trubisky probably going to be getting a little bit better. The wide receivers understanding the offense a little bit better. A better running back. The Packers' history on the road as of last year. Our first year with this head coach. The defense, although I expect it to regress, still being pretty good. I, you know, not a lot less than 50%, but probably a little bit less. Let's call it 49% positive the Packers win the game. So when you've got a guy like Trubisky that's throwing what PFF calls turnover-worthy plays, which is a throw that has the potential to be a turnover at a rate of almost 5%, which Aaron Rodgers is just over 1%, which is pretty low, but, you know... Trubisky is extremely high. He had one of the highest percentages in the entire NFL. The Packers have to take advantage of stuff like that. The ability to flip this game is going to be important and take advantage of every single opportunity we have. And the point is, Trubisky's the kind of quarterback that's going to give you opportunities. He's going to have flashes of brilliance, and he's going to have flashes of what in the world was that. And our ability to take advantage of those what in the world was that plays could make the difference between winning and losing this game. And as I pointed out, there are still reports that Trubisky did not look very good in camp. Now, in camp doesn't necessarily mean much, right? That's the time when you're expected to kind of try to make mistakes and see what you can do and what you can't do. Remember last year, Aaron Rodgers threw about, he probably threw more interceptions in one practice than he ended up throwing the entire regular season. However, not hearing positive news is better than hearing positive news. Can we agree on that? Thank you very much. Now, there is positive news coming from the head coach, but, you know, talk about taking things with a grain of salt. 
when you have Bears fans slash reporters saying, this doesn't look very good at all, and then the coach comes to the podium and says, oh, he is just miles ahead of where he was last year, the coach is probably on to something a little bit, maybe exaggerating slightly, but, but there's also probably a lot of trying to prop up this guy that you're stuck with. You expect a head coach to say stuff like that, right? But anyways, that that's going to be, I mean, and really that's one of the, the keys of the game, and we'll talk about keys of the game um, tomorrow more or less, which primarily it's going to be our offense versus their defense is going to be the, the biggest component. However, Mitch Trubisky in a, in a little vacuum by himself is a massive component, maybe the biggest question mark. If he comes out and balls out, it's going to be very, very hard to win this game. If he comes out and, and Trubisky's this thing, you know, if he shroots it, we got a good chance of winning. So, got to pick up the pace because I can't talk about every position that long. But that that in a vacuum is is their quarterback, and it's also week one. In other words, if Mitch Trubisky is going to have a a good season, the odds that he has a good season but isn't super great at the beginning of the of the year, pretty high. That's true of just about everybody. So a a you know mistake prone guy in week one, again opportunities abound oh man all right we're moving on to running back and I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can to not preview what I'm going to be doing tomorrow by talking about strategy and whatnot but suffice it to say David Montgomery is going to be an important piece for this this team in general I mean just just again without elaborating just think it through yourself if Trubisky isn't that great maybe you want to take it off his plate if you're going to do that what are the Bears going to do instead and then if the Bears do that what do the Packers need to be you get what okay we'll talk about it tomorrow point is though we, we don't know too much about mr david montgomery we know the bears uh love montgomery we got to see what that materializes into though because it doesn't necessarily mean much right i mean there's there's been really great reports about a lot of things right we i mean we saw we've seen a lot of running backs come in in the in the early rounds right the the lions grabbed a guy in the early rounds seems to be working out pretty well but let's keep in mind where David Montgomery was drafted. The Vikings picked somebody up in the early rounds. David Montgomery is not a first or second round running back. Dalvin Cook was and has not proven to be very good thus far. Now, you know, he could have a good year and his offensive line's been bad. Whatever. I'm not arguing about that. I'm just saying the hype from the organization isn't necessarily something I'm going to key in on. Now, he did have one really good preseason game, which is the only game he played in. And I, again, I like him, so if he's good, it wouldn't super shock me. However, him getting drafted as late as he did kind of did super shock me. It tells me that 31, at least, other teams sort of disagreed with my assessment that he should have at least been a second-round pick. I suppose a third-round pick isn't that much later, but still. Um, supposedly, he looked really good. He graded out really well, but he only had 13 plays. Five of those 13 were uh, blocking. I'm sorry, one of them was. I thought that was run blocking. It's just running. He only ran the ball four times. Well, it's, it says four times, but I don't know. Anyways, three carries, 16 yards, 5.3 yard average, and a touchdown. So yes, he's going to grade out pretty high when that happens. But again, on three carries, what can we really glean from this? Um, he also graded out really well as a receiver, which is going to be a pivotal thing for him because that's what they want. And I, I thought it was a little bit weird. Not that I didn't think he could be a receiver. I just it, I didn't really see him as a receiver at Iowa State. He was just a really shifty, talented, you know, great vision kind of runner. But three targets, three receptions, 30 yards. Not surprisingly, like most Chicago Bears, he had more yards after the catch than he did yards. Why? Because all these passes are coming behind the line of scrimmage. 30 total yards, 35 yards after the catch. 
Of those, he ended up getting two first downs. Passer rating when targeted, 108.3. So, you know, considering he had three rush, three times he ran the ball, three times he caught the ball, it's about as perfect as you can be. So it's it's not bad news for the Bears, and it's not good news for us, but it doesn't exactly mean a ton. I'm willing to bet Luke Keekley was not in this game. There were probably several starters that were not starting for the Carolina Panthers. We'll see what happens when instead of the backup Carolina, you know, some starters, some backups for Carolina, you get, you know, Kenny Clark, Preston, whatever. Granted, the linebacking situation isn't fantastic, but a big part of what the Packers have been trying to do is bulk up the defensive front. That includes the ends, right? Getting away from the Clay Matthews guys, moving toward the long arm, smash you in the mouth, good luck running on this team, you're not going to push us around kind of defensive front which should help the linebackers, etc., etc. Again, that's for tomorrow. The wide receivers, as I've said, I, I've got a, a modicum of respect, but I also think that they're overrated. So, w- w- you know, um, it, it kind of depends what context I'm talking on to, to gauge whether or not I like this this group of wide receivers. I've been mostly negative, but that's usually because I think people and the media and Bears fans especially are too high. Um, the, the talk about Allen Robinson is is way out of control when he got picked up. Again, there was a lot of excitement for Allen Robinson because he was the number one wide receiver on the free agent market, and that inflates our opinion of a wide receiver. And it did come off a pretty good year in 2017. Um, it was his highest year ever, so he, he looked really good even though he got injured. But prior to that, he, he didn't ever really grade out all that well. Now, maybe he's the kind of wide receiver where you put him with a good quarterback because he hasn't had one yet, including Mitch Trubisky. He ends up being a really solid wide receiver. And I, I, I you know, is he a wide receiver one truly? I don't know. He's probably fringe. Again, a, a number one wide receiver isn't just the best wide receiver on your team. It is a wide receiver that dictates coverage. In other words, it's a guy that's going to draw additional attention. Is Allen Robinson that kind of a guy? I'm thinking probably not. Is he good enough to be, you know, the, the what most people call a w- number one wide receiver, which is the best wide receiver on a team? Is, is he the kind of guy you'd be happy with? I think so. I think most teams would be okay with it. Are they overpaying him for his, for his production? Yes, I also think that. But as far as the wide receivers the Packers are going to be playing this year, you know, Robinson is eh, whatever. He's not somebody that you need to disregard, but he's not, you know, this is not Julio Jones. This is not Thielen and Diggs. You know, as, as far as NFC North wide receivers, he is probably the fifth best. Thielen and Diggs are better. Adams is better. And I think Kenny Galladay is probably better as well. Uh, Taylor Gabriel is another one. And, and they've been going out and spending a ton of money on wide receivers that are free agents. And I just, I don't get it. Um, apparently, it's super important. They've got the different kinds. You know, Robinson is sort of their Devontae Adams. Taylor Gabriel is the speed guy on the outside. Taylor Gabriel has never really been a very good wide receiver. Again, he's the kind of guy that if you, you know, you take your eye off the ball, he can hurt you. But overall, he's just kind of extremely underwhelming. I think one of the biggest X factors is going to be Anthony Miller. Anthony Miller didn't have a super great year last year, but he showed flashes of being extremely talented. He's their slot guy. He was a rookie last year. You know, he's somebody that a lot of people are expecting to take a big leap. If he does, similar to Trubisky, it it really changes the dynamic of his team. If if he does not, it's Allen Robinson, who's a good wide receiver, is really their only super... What's the best way to put it? He's really their only... It's one of those things where if you take him away, what are you going to do? You know, Taylor Gabriel's a deep threat, but 
how much do the Bears want to push the ball anyways? I mean, they, they want to. It's one of their biggest things is to throw shallow, 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 deep, right? It's, it's what the Packers are kind of going to be doing too. But if they start working the middle of the field, which is where Trubisky and the Bears were just horrific, again, they're great with shallow passes because everybody is. And Trubisky has the arm to, to push it deep on occasion and really throw a nice throw. But the ability to be an efficient quarterback that can throw the 8-yard passes, the 13-yard passes, you know, the kinds of passes that your slot receiver is typically going to get for you, that was kind of lacking. And if that kind of opens up, you know, it changes the dynamic of the team. Now, on a positive note for us, Anthony Miller does have an ankle injury um, and I think is going to be on a similar program as uh, Kevin King, which is to say he's expected to play, but in a limited capacity meaning he may turn a corner, and maybe the second time we play him he has a high impact, but probably not necessarily week one. That could mean that we end up seeing Riley Ridley as the slot guy, I'm not entirely sure, or Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson, is he is a gadget guy. I think Nagy recognizes him as a gadget guy, and they're going to use him as a gadget guy. Uh, the, the direct quote from Matt Nagy on Cordero Patterson was, you see what he did in New England with the jet sweeps, the arounds, the screens, and I think that's a good fit for him. Yes, it is, and it's just, you know, again, it's he recognizes that, and that's what he is. So is he just going to be a lineup and be a slot guy? W- will he be in the slot? Maybe on occasion. Is he going to line up as a slot receiver and play as a slot receiver? No. If he's there, it's probably to run a screen or some other kind of nonsense. Um, as far as Riley Ridley, um, they have been putting him in the slot. He played two preseason games. This is, by the way, Calvin Ridley's brother, for anyone wondering, the lesser talented of the bunch. Um, thus far, he hasn't had a very big role, which is surprising because it's preseason and you're a backup. You would think you'd have a pretty big role. He's had, um, well, maybe he's been out there. He just hasn't had much production. I don't know. He's had six total targets, three receptions for 19 yards and no touchdowns. Um, in preseason week two, he had a passer rating when targeted of 67.9 in week three, 39.6 overall passer rating when targeted 56.9. He's uh, graded out at right at about average, and again, this is in the preseason, so don't expect a ton from that if he's on the field. So to recap, underwhelming quarterback. However, if you factor in, again, Nagy is the guy that I respect, so you look at not just Montgomery, but also Cohen and what he's able to do. You factor in Gabriel and the fact that he's kind of gadgety with the fact that he's basically just pure speed. Miller in his limited capacity, possibly taking a step. Cordero Patterson and the crazy stuff he's able to do. It's one of those things that there's really not a huge group of people that I respect in a massive sense. And I think there's a lot of, oh, you know, Tariq Cohen, he's scary, but he's another one that's great. You know, as great as a 71.6. He's he's good. He's just, he's fine. Gabriel, 68.8. Robinson, 77.7. Miller was a 60. You know, these guys are just in the average to good category. But if Matt Nagy is able to take them and utilize their, their strengths, it's good enough to be able to chip your way down the field, especially week one against a defense that has a lot of new players, some players that just aren't probably very good, some that are, are very good. But it, you know, it's about manipulation and about taking advantage of weaknesses and all that kind of stuff. Is there enough here that a really talented offensive mind can, can cobble together enough to march down the field and get points? I think so. Is this an elite offense? Not even close. Again, I think any the success of this team was essentially a defense like we've never seen before, which is a slight exaggeration, but it was very good. Again, probably at least since the Legion of Boom, and uh, Matt Nagy being able to drag this team uh, to at least get a couple points. And remember, 
a couple of years ago, the Bears were straight garbage. And the reason I projected them to be better is because what I had said was, was that two years ago, 2017, they were on the verge of winning almost all their games that they lost. They, they lost by a last second, you know, inability to punch it in the end zone, you know, a missed last second field goal. They were losing by one score in which they had the opportunity and just did something dumb. And what I said was, if the defense continues to improve, and if Trubisky can can improve in some capacity, or Nagy can help the offense, or whatever, and they can just get that extra point here or there or whatever, and and turn those those series of losses into a series of wins, they, they go from being like a five win team to a ten win team, or whatever the case would be. I ended up being exactly correct. Here's the question, however: if the defense regresses. If teams and defenses begin to understand the Nagy offense and he doesn't have the element of surprise anymore, if Trubisky doesn't improve and it's basically the same old offense but a less good defense, is it possible they flip to the other side and they start losing by just those couple points again? And if that is the case, and and by the way, I had mentioned before there was a person who had kind of run a bunch of numbers on expectations based on trends and all this stuff. And what he had come to was, and I think this is the guy from uh, Football Outsiders, he essentially said, typically what you're going to see with a defense like the Bears defense is a massive crash and burn, meaning maybe top five, but probably outside of the top five defenses. That's huge. So again, you know, if the defense isn't what it was last year, this offense has to be better because it's just not, it's not good enough. Trubisky is well below average. Cohen is is good at what he does. You know, he's scary, but, you know, whatever. Montgomery is an unknown. Gabriel is not very good. Miller's hurt. Robinson is, is good, not great. Cordero is gadgety. The only place he's ever had success is New England, and that just goes to show you that he's probably not going to have success anywhere else because New England just does that. Riley Ridley is, is, you know, zero expectations. And otherwise, they have a good, not great offensive line. Now, as I mentioned, in terms of, of low sack rate, that that number is, is really, really good for the Bears. It was one of the best in the NFL. So why is it that they have one of the lowest sack rates, lower than the Packers, yet they don't have it as high a grades as, for example, the, the Packers? Because there isn't a direct correlation between sacks and how good your offensive line did. There's a general correlation. You're probably going to see some form of correlation, but it doesn't take everything into account. Sometimes things are just fluky, and a guy doesn't exactly block somebody and doesn't quite get home either. There's also the issue of Mitchell Trubisky being very good on his feet. So if you completely get knocked on your back, but Trubisky runs away, that isn't because you're a great offensive lineman. And again, this is a good offensive line, but it's not elite. In other words, it's not unbeatable. I think Zadarius is going to have some opportunities. Rashawn, Preston, Kenny Clark. The the highest graded offensive lineman is a 75.3. That's good. Three of their offensive linemen are graded as good. Two of them are average. And I think James Daniels has the ability to really grow and, and get into that good, possibly very good category. But as of right now, you got three good, two average, which is, is really just the, the perfect embodiment of this offense in general. Everybody's right at the 60 to 70 mark. There is not one player on this entire offense that is graded out as very good. Not one. I'm not even talking about elite. Elite is the, is the next level above that. I'm just talking 80s, which is very good. The closest player they have to that is, is Allen Robinson. Again, 77.7. That's as close to very good as they get. For reference, the Packers have three, or excuse me, four that are in the 80s. Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari, Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Jones. Three of those four, by the way, are high 80s bordering on elite. 
Aaron Rodgers was 89.7, basically rated elite. And nobody graded out as bad. The only one that was below average was Jimmy Graham at 59 even, which is basically 60. So again, this this is just a, a matter of, of reference to give you an idea of what this Bears offense is. It's not elite. Again, the entire Bears team, don't let Bears fans twist this for you. It was a great, great, great defense and a really good offensive coordinator able to drag this very plain, boring, vanilla, garbage offense down the field to get enough points to be able to win the game. And I know there were some high-scoring games that they were able to completely, you know, take advantage of defenses that couldn't figure out how to stop this one thing they were doing. You know, they, they beat the Buccaneers 48-10, to 10, but that wasn't the way things typically win. They can do it, especially if Trubisky gets into a groove, right? They beat the Bills 41-9, to 9, but typically they're a, a 20-some point team. You know, Bears-Packers, 23 points. Bears-Seahawks, 24. Uh, Bears-Cardinals, 16. Against the Dolphins, 28. Uh, against the Bears, 24. Against the Vikings, 25. Against the Lions, 23. Against the Giants, 27. Against the Rams, 15, and they won that game. Against the Packers, 24 against the 49ers 14, against the Vikings 24, and against the Eagles in the in the playoffs, they scored 15 points. Again, people want to blame a kicker for losing to the Eagles. The defense held them to 16 points. Give me a break blaming a kicker. Your offense couldn't beat 16 points. I don't want to hear about a kicker. Talk about making lame excuses for your quarterback. Eagles are a pretty good defense, but give me a break. You didn't lose that game because of a kicker. You lost that game because your offense was straight trash. Other than that, Trey Burton is kind of the guy. Um, he's their tight end. Bears fans are kind of hoping he can step up, but uh, he's also injured, so it's kind of a question mark as to when he plays, if he plays, how much he plays. And the fact of the matter is, even if he's a full go, he's been out because of a surgery since I don't even know how long. He hasn't been in the preseason at all. He hasn't been practicing at all. So even if he's good to go, um, you know, how much do you want him to be out there right now? But anyways, that's going to be it for the offense. We'll take a look at the defense after this little break. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. 
So obviously the defense is a different story. Uh, we have to see what's going to happen with the change. And, and we got to change the way we think about the defense a little bit because people are going to be asked to do different things. This is a different defensive scheme. Now, this isn't a switch from a 3-4 a to a 4-3 or vice versa, but it, that th- those aren't the only kinds of defensive schemes. They are making a switch from a uh, zone cover team to a press man cover team. Now, in some ways, this could work to their advantage, and in some ways, this could be a massive disadvantage. And um, j- just off the top, I think Fuller and I think Amukamura take a step back. However, Khalil Mack could win Defensive Player of the Year. I also think there's other players, like their uh, safety, Eddie Jackson, could take a, a step back. And, and the, the reason I'm not just making this stuff up out of thin air. The general change in philosophy is, is going from a system from a zone system in which everybody plays a specific role and you stay in your spot and you stay in your lane and you follow your assignment, and now it is much more of a off-the-cuff, smash-mouth kind of a, a situation, which is to say the corner's job is to punch you right in the mouth, and as you run by, i got to stick with you stride for stride. That's not what Fuller was doing last year. I'm not saying he can't do it, but the simple fact of the matter is the value of a corner largely depends what kind of a corner you are. If, if you are a great corner in a zone system, you're not going to get as much money. Because the fact of the matter is there, there's more of them, and it is a less premium skill set. Jair Alexander is wildly important because he plays man-to-man. Which is to say, Jair's Ale- Jair Alexander's job is to line up across from somebody and run for him, run with him stride for stride and shut him down by yourself. Maybe you get safety help, maybe you don't. Now, the other element of this defense, and this is where the Bears are going to be able to do what the Packers probably can't, or at least not as well, is get pressure and get it early. Because eventually, these wide receivers are going to get open. Eventually, they're going to shake your corner. But the idea being, by by pressing him, you're already taking him out of his groove. You're already upsetting the timing. And then you just need to cover him long enough to be able to get somebody to the quarterback. And essentially, the quarterback's not going to have any options. He's only got a, a short window to throw the ball, and with your corners starting by jamming your receivers and then chasing after your guys and sticking with them to the point where you're thinking okay that person's not open I got to go to my next read and that person's not open you kind of get into a situation where you don't have time to allow routes to develop but you need them to now this isn't to say there's never going to be any zone even the Packers have elements of zone but the primary scheme is going to be press man and again a lot of this is it has to do with with scheme and, and ability. There are certain corners that are better zone corners, certain be- corners that are better man corners. And again, I'm, I'm, it's just a fact of the matter that a, a, a guy who is really good in man coverage is going to be more valuable than a, a, a guy that is really good in zone. And teams that pray, play press man, it's much more important that you find elite corners than some of the other teams that don't do that. Suddenly, corner becomes one of the most important positions on a team when you play like the Packers do and like the Bears now do. And the fact of the matter is, when you see a guy like Prince of Mukamura, who's been an average corner his entire life, comes to the Chicago Bears and suddenly an elite, or not quite elite, but very good corner, one of the top corners in the NFL, why does that happen? Because he played in a very, very good system under Vic Fangio. Now, there's a floor as far as how bad this is going to be, because again, part of this is predicated on the pass rush being ramped up. We're going to be using a lot more pressure than we did last year and when you got guys like Khalil Mack and when you got guys like Akeem Hicks and you're bringing additional pressure like Roquan Smith or Ha Ha or Eddie Jackson or Omukamura or Buster Screen or whoever there's still going to be a good amount of success there's still going to be a good amount of interceptions there's still going to be a good amount of incompletions and throwaways and, and everything else because what 
the defense is going to be asked to do, they're going to be very successful at. Because the fact of the matter is Khalil Mack is going to be able to do what he's being asked to do, which is go get the quarterback. But again, this is a this is a massive difference that I think a lot of Bears fans are overlooking. This is something that would make me nervous. This is every bit as important as your 3-4 outside linebacker being switched to a 4-3 defensive end. The very real question of can you handle that responsibility is, is, is a real question. And you look at a guy like Kyle Fuller and you can say, well, he's super talented. Maybe he's got what it takes. Maybe that he, he's even better at that. Who knows? He's a good corner. He can probably handle it, right? It's just like a versatile, really... T- it's like a guy like Khalil Mack. Not that Fuller's Khalil Mack, obviously, but just as an example. If Khalil Mack was told we're, we're switching to a 4-3 defense, would anybody care? Would anybody be worried? Well, I don't know if he can do hand in the... Of course he can. You could put him at nose tackle and he would absolutely obliterate the offensive line. Because he's Khalil Mack and he's a freak. But Amukamura? Really? Now, maybe he won't be quite as bad as he was with the Giants because, again, Khalil Mack and Eddie Jackson helping and all that stuff. But I absolutely expect regret. And there's a lot of guys I expect regression from because, again, this is a situation where you saw guys get continually better every year under Vic Fangio to the point where I've never seen anything like it in my life. Every single player got better every single year. And guys were playing better than they ever have. To the point where, again, Prince of Mukamura in his 30s is playing better football than he ever has in his life. Kyle Fuller is playing the best football of his entire life. Akeem Hicks, who was never quite as good as, as everyone made him out to be, was, was so essentially the guy was average for three years. He was good as in, in the 70s for three years. And then in 2018, when everything blew up, he was the fourth best defensive tackle in the NFL. Where did that come from, and why shouldn't we expect regression? It's, it's, it's basic regression to the mean. This is a guy who was good to average for six straight years, and you're telling me you expect, I expect him to be the fourth best tackle, an elite defensive tackle again? I don't think so. Same with Eddie Jackson. Listen, Adrian Amos was the third best safety in the entire NFL uh, in 2017. He, he was good in 2018, but he massively regressed from being an elite safety. Eddie Jackson, in 2017, when Amos was the, the, one of the best safeties in the NFL, Adrian, Eddie Jackson, as a rookie, was graded out as average. The very next year, he's the best safety in the NFL. Again, in this scheme, which the entire defensive scheme is changing, in this scheme, he was the best. You exp- you're telling me you don't think he's going to regress? Of course he's going to regress. That doesn't mean bad. I, I'm not saying Amukamura is going to be bad. I'm not saying Eddie Jackson's going to be bad. I'm not saying Kyle Fuller's going to be bad. But you got to understand, again, this is a team that is on the fringes. This is a defense that only beat the Seahawks because they held them to 17 points. This is a team that beat the Cardinals by two points. The Cardinals. It's a, it's a defense that only beat the Jets, really, because they held them to 10. Now the Bears scored 24. It's 14 points. It's a huge spread. But again, it's on the back of an elite defense. The Bears beat the Vikings by five. They beat the Lions by a touchdown. They beat the Rams 15-6. to six. How often do you think, out of, out of 10 times, if the Bears' defense regresses, do you think 15 points is going to be enough to beat the Rams? I would say it's going to be about zero times out of 10. That's good enough. They beat the Packers. The, 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 lowly pa- the worst Packers team I've ever seen in my entire life. They couldn't even beat the Cardinals. They were complete garbage. They beat the Packers 24-17. to 17. The Packers' offense, who couldn't do anything, scored 17 points on one of the best defenses in the NFL. I say again, with a better head coach, a more creative offense, a healthy Aaron Rodgers, if, if, if at your best and our worst, you're beating us one time out of two and your one win comes 24-17, I'm sorry to tell you, that ain't good enough. You beat the 49ers 14-9. to 
49ers aren't that great, but 14 points beats almost nobody ever. If your defense regresses, I'm sorry to tell you, the 49ers will beat you next time. You beat the Vikings because your defense allowed them to score 10 points. Again, 24, massive spread. it's, It's not good enough, man. 24 points guarantees nothing. Even teams like the Bills and the Jets and the 49ers and the Cardinals, I don't know about the Dolphins probably, but any team has the ability to score 24, 25, 26 points on a given day. That, that's nothing in 2018, 2019. So again, I'm not talking about regressing into being a bad defense. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just saying if you take a step back, how many of these games swing? The fact of the matter is if, if, if opposing teams last year scored 25 points, the Bears win six games. That's the reality. If opposing teams last year just got to 25 points, the Bears win six games. The Bears scored over 25 points only once in their last seven games. This is why even a slight regret, even if you go from the number one defense to the number five defense, that's troubling if you're a Bears, that should be troubling if you're a Bears fan. The Bears were number one in points allowed. I think they allowed 16 or 17 points per game on average. That's why you win 12 games. In 2017, the, the offense was pretty similar. I mean, it was worse. It was definitely worse, but so was the defense. You guys were ninth in points allowed. And again, it's, it's almost the exact opposite. You lost to the Atlanta Falcons, who only scored 23 points, because you could only score 17. You lost to the Vikings, 17-20. to 20. You lost to the Saints, 12-20. to 20. The Packers, 16-23. The Lions, 24-27. The 49ers, you lost 14-15. to 15. Again, a couple points here, a couple points there, it makes a big difference. Now, to, to kind of elaborate and get specific, and i got to kind of hurry, but that's sort of the overview... Um, as I've said, it, it's, at this point in time, Khalil Mack is great, but he's, he's kind of on an island. Akeem Hicks, you know, he graded out really well. He is a good football player, but as a pass rusher, in terms of production, he would, he, I mean, he, he wasn't as good as Mike Daniels. He's not as good as Kenny Clark. I, again, my, my typical standard is 10% is a pretty good number. 10% of, of attempts at getting to the quarterback you, in some capacity, pressure the quarterback, whether that's a hit, a hurry, or a sack. Akeem Hicks was at 9.8. That's not that good. Even 10 is just kind of like a baseline, like, all right, that's that's decent enough. That's that's starter caliber. You're decent. You get below 10, and it's kind of, really. I mean, I, 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 as far as a pass rusher, and he's seen it as, as a elite pass rusher, I mean, what, that's what the numbers are. I mean, eight sacks is awesome. That's, that's great. That's what PFF gave him was eight sacks, but overall total pressure is 51. That is the most um, most pressures of anybody along the interior. That's cool, but he also had the most pass rush attempts of anybody along the interior. Minnesota Vikings Sheldon Richardson, he had the second most pressures. He was at 10.7%, which is to say, although he didn't get it nearly as much hype, and he also didn't grade out all that well, only had five sacks, in terms of his ability to be disruptive, he's better than Akeem Hicks. Then you look at Kenny Clark, and well, Kenny Clark only had six sacks. I mean, that's kind of garbage, right? Six sacks and four hits, that's trash. Yeah, and 36 hurries. 11.3% was his pressure rate. Pretty sure that's higher than Akeem Hicks and Sheldon Richardson. Now, again, we're, we're, we're sort of splitting hairs a little bit. There, you know, Kenny Clark, Sheldon Richardson, Akeem Hicks, Mike Daniels was, I think, the top guy who is now gone. They're all, th- these are the three guys. The Lions don't really have one as far as good pass rushers. These are the, the 10%-ish or better 
Really, it's just Sheldon Richardson and Kenny Clark that were above 10%, but whatever. But the bottom line is, again, the idea that Akeem Hicks is in some kind of great territory that everybody else isn't, yeah. Overall, he got most of his, his ability, um, as far as grading out well, was as a run defender. He's a, he's a good enough pass rusher. I'm not, I'm not trying to say he isn't. He can cause problems. I'm just saying, let's not overhype this a bit. In terms of discrepancy, there is one guy who was seen as a very good pass rusher along the interior in the NFC North. That's Kenny Clark. There is a massive drop-off from Kenny Clark down to Akeem Hicks, and Akeem Hicks is basically tied with Deshaun Hand uh, and, and Mike Daniels, who again is now gone. Other than that, they have Leonard Floyd and Roy Robertson-Harris. Bears fans are excited about Floyd. They want him to be much better than he has been, but this is year four. Um, at some point, you got to kind of just give up on the dream. Leonard Floyd has been a bust for three straight years, and last year he was a bust with Khalil Mack next to him. I mean, you don't get a better situation than that. I have no expectation that Leonard Floyd is going to be any good at his job. I mean, in terms of a pressure percentage, he was at 8%. That's just that's just not good. So, you know, a, as we know, es- essentially their defense is, is Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, and then that's pretty much it up front. Now, that's a lot. Khalil Mack is, is bringing pressure for two people. But again, outside of that, if if, if the if you're able to mitigate the damage of Khalil Mack, especially if what we're doing is getting the ball out quicker and, and sort of just taking away the, the pass rush by getting the ball out fast, it really just comes down to Kyle Fuller and Buster Screen and Prince of Mookamur, who, by the way, Buster Screen was picked up because they lost their slot corner, who was a very good slot corner. Buster Screen is kind of a terrible slot corner. And now again, Fuller and Amukamura and Screen are now press corners. They're not zone corners anymore, which is a big difference. And the question is, can they even do it? The, the question of how good is his defense is going to be challenged. Now, as I've said, I think there's a floor. I think there is a bottom line. In other words, it's probably not going to be much worse than this because of the talent they have, because I do think Fuller's a good corner, because I know Khalil Mack is, is one of the best, if not the best, defensive players. I don't think he's the best, but he's definitely top five. Because Akeem Hicks is a good player, Eddie Jackson is a good safety. I think Kaha Clinton-Dix, and I'll, I'll do the routine again, I think he's underrated by Packers fans. Um, it's, it's wildly overstated how bad he was at tackling. That's just not true, and I can give you the statistics. He was better at coverage than anybody wanted to give him credit for. Our safety position completely dropped off when, when Tremont took over for HaHa. Nobody wants to admit that, but it's 100% true. I'm, I'm not opposed to the move. I think it was a there was clearly a lack of effort on certain plays, and there was a clearly a lack of desire to be in Green Bay, and he was not a great seemingly a great person for the locker room and I think that was a big part of why we got rid of him same with Demarius right the idea that well we got rid of him what a terrible job by our GM we were getting rid of him anyways because he was a locker room problem Deshaun Kaiser was just what we could get for him and it didn't pan out but he was going away he was not going to be starting even at safety even if he had started at safety and was good at safety he was going bye-bye because he was a problem and the fact of the matter is Clinton Dix was a better safety than than Demarius is right now Again, no Packer fan is going to want to admit that. I'm telling you that's the truth. We got rid of HaHa because we didn't like his attitude. And yes, I like Amos better. I'm not. I'm. I'm happy with the situation. Completely content. Clinton Dix t- took too many plays off. He had a bad attitude. Amos is a better safety. I'm good with it. But please don't go around thinking that HaHa Clinton Dix is going to be a detriment to this team because he's not. But you got Eddie Jackson. You got HaHa Clinton Dix. And then you got uh, one of the biggest question marks on defense is going to be Roquan Smith and the progress he makes because he wasn't all that great as a rookie. Danny Trevathan is a good linebacker. Uh, if Roquan Smith can can 
get anywhere near his potential or what people thought he could be when he got drafted, it could be a dangerous situation, especially when, and we'll get into this more tomorrow, you know, if you just think it through a bit in terms of how do you counteract a pass rush and then, you know, what does the defense do to counteract what we do to counteract their pass rush? Roquan Smith plays a big role in that, right? Just just anything involving short, quick passes, quick, athletic, fast linebackers are exactly the kind of, of people that are going to take advantage of that, that or, excuse me, that are going to shut that stuff down. Now, because I know it's lingering out there, let me just do the routine. Last year, according to PFF, Adrian Amos was the 10th best safety in the NFL. That's awesome. Super excited about it. Haha, Clinton Dix was the 16th. Oh, that's garbage. He's not any good. Did you see all those missed tackles he had? Haha had eight missed tackles. He had 79 tackles. 79 tackles is tied for seventh most tackles of any safety in the NFL. Tied with Landon Collins and Derwin James. Would you like to know how many missed tackles Landon Collins had? He had 13. Would you like to know how many missed tackles the elite freakish uh, safety Derwin James had? Again, exact same number of tackles, 79. How many did he miss? 14. Haha, ha, missed 8. Every single safety, with the exception of John Johnson, who had 79 tackles or more, missed more than 8 tackles. Jesse Bates uh, had 14 misses. Malcolm Jenkins had 13. Jamal Adams had 9. Sean Williams had 17. Antoine Bethea had 17. Haha, ha, had 8. Demarius Randall, super elite safety now all of a sudden apparently. He only had 73 tackles, had 12 missed tackles. Eddie Jackson, best safety in the history of the world, only had 45 tackles. He missed 13 tackles. 13! Again, he missed almost double, but had about half the amount of tackles. Tremont Williams had the exact same number of missed tackles, but only had 44 tackles. Tremont missed 8. Josh Jones, who apparently is this great inside the box, like that's where he thrives, is tackling, he's so good. He only had 37 tackles, he missed 6. Again, haha missed 8. That's it. That's not a big number, especially as a ratio to how many he had. The only guy in the entire NFC North who had even close to the number of tackles that haha did, which by the way, not one safety in the NFC North had more tackles, but Quandre Diggs had 71 tackles, he missed 10. Again, let's not play this game where we pretend and, and we, you know, because somebody, some Twitter guy threw up a highlight reel of him missing tackles. It's like, oh, I know he's garbage. I saw those four plays that somebody made a montage of. Don't be that guy. Do, do you guys remember when, um, when Landon Collins was this big deal and all the Packer fans wanted Landon Collins really, really bad? And I was kind of saying, eh, I don't know if he's all that great. And then people started putting up highlight reels of all his good plays, and it's like, oh, he's the best ever! And then somebody had the idea that I'm going to make a lowlights video. I'm going to show some of his bad plays. Suddenly, he was the worst safety ever, and he's worse than Ha Clinton Dix. You see the plays that he's taken off. You see the missed tackles. You see the same stuff that you see from Haha. The same stuff you would probably see from 100% of the safeties if you just picked out the bad plays. You're going to see plays that look lazy. You're going to see missed tackles. You're going to see bad angles. You're going to see all that stuff. Essentially, it's the exact same thing that happened with the Audible situation. What happened with the Audible situation with Matt LaFleur? Somebody made up something that's not entirely true, although there is kind of a, a, an issue there, and they're working through it. It's not a big deal. But somebody kind of made something up that isn't entirely true, and people just keep running with it. And then every time something happens, it's, it's, it's thought that, well, see, this is just further proof of that crazy thing. Same thing happened with HaHa. You see a bad play, you see a lazy play, a narrative starts. Once a narrative starts, everybody's watching for it. 
Have you ever noticed what happens when you think about a car or when you start talking about a car or when you start researching a car? Like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to have a Honda Odyssey? Go drive out on the road. You know what's going to happen? You're going to see 75 Honda Odysseys. Every other car you're going to see is a Honda Odyssey because it's on your mind. If you're thinking about Corvettes, suddenly the, the city is filled with Corvettes. Where did all these Corvettes come from? I swear I've never seen a Corvette. Now there's like nine of them. I just saw my ride into work. That's what happens. It's a weird way our brains work. And so a narrative started that HaHa was super lazy and he took plays off and he took bad angles. And suddenly every miss was this massive thing. Like, oh, classic HaHa. There he goes. What a bum. And then, you know, the next play, Blake Martinez misses a tackle. And it's like, oh, come on, Blake. What are you doing, man? Jeez. He's a good tackler, though. That doesn't normally happen. And again, I'm acknowledging that there was a problem with HaHa Clinton Dix, but I'm saying it was blown wildly out of proportion. And as far as his coverage ability, he was the 13th best coverage safety Again, you don't have to buy into pro football focus, but you're going to have to be able to develop a metric and compare every single snap of Ha Ha Clinton Dix to every other comparable safety. It's not an easy thing to do, and I'm not willing to do that work. If you are, Godspeed. And again, Amos was better. Amos was the eighth best. And by the way, this is the second year in a row he was a top 10 safety in coverage. I'm super, super excited about Adrian Amos. I cannot wait to see what he contributes to this team. But again, stop saying that HaHa is trash and that he's going to be a liability and this is so funny, I can't wait for him to just completely blow it and we're going to win the game on a missed tackle by HaHa Clinton Dix. It's possible, but I would say it's more likely that HaHa Clinton Dix is actually a pretty decent safety. He's going to have one of his best years because he's playing for the Chicago Bears, he's playing next to Eddie Jackson, and you're just setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for talking trash and looking dumb when HaHa Clinton Dix tears it up and you got to eat a bunch of crow. Don't set yourself up that way. I gave you the information. Do what you will with it. If you want to keep talking smack and talking about how garbage haha is, and I don't mind if you're saying you think um, Adrian Amos is better, that's what I've been saying. But the idea that haha is a terrible safety is just not true. Is Amos better? Would the Bears have liked to keep Amos? I'm sure. Are there issues with with haha Clinton Dix that got him cut from the Packers, and in which the 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 Washington Redskins didn't retain him, in which the Bears only signed him to a one year contract? Is there something there? Of course, there's something there, but keep things in their proper context. There's an issue. Hopefully, the issue spirals out of control and plagues Chicago. But let's not bet on that. The guy was a first round pick for a reason, and it has shown up to and including last year. Was he better in previous years when he won the Pro Bowl? Yeah. Does he still have all that talent that got him to the Pro Bowl? Yes. So very quickly in summary, they have a very subpar quarterback. They have a decent group of running backs. They have a pretty good offensive line. They have decent enough wide receivers. They have mediocre tight ends. They have a very good front on their defense, primarily because of two of their players. The other two are not good at all. They have two corners that were good, but probably are going to regress and have replaced a very good slot corner with a very bad slot corner. They have decent linebackers. Trevathan is good, but I think overrated. Roquan has some potential to really grow. If he doesn't, then they just have mediocre linebackers. And they have Eddie Jackson, who is a very good safety, despite the fact that I do think he's going to regress. And they have HaHa Clinton Dix, who is a good safety, especially in this system, especially next to Eddie Jackson, who is... Probably overrated by Bears fans, underrated by Packer fans, and is going to be a, a capable enough safety in this defense. That's essentially what we're looking at. And 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 again, we're we're looking at a team, and I'll elaborate on this more tomorrow, that is that is on the verge and they don't even know it. They're so busy looking at Super Bowl, they don't even realize they're on the verge of being an eight and eight team. I really I mean it, it, 
if things go one way, they win the Super Bowl. If the, if the defense doesn't regress and the offense improves, then yeah, they are Super Bowl favorites. If, on the other hand, the offense does not improve and the defense regresses enough, they're not even the number two team in the NFC North, depending on how good the other teams are. Because this team, this offense, needs a number one overall. They need a defense that keeps teams under 20 points on average in order to win football games. And if they can't do that again, they don't win a lot of games. Again, they're a six-win team if teams score 25 points or more. Six. There are only five teams last year that scored 20 or more points. Only five. That's, a, that's, that's awesome for their defense, but it should absolutely terrify Bears fans. Because that's nearly impossible to replicate. And then you get rid of your defensive coordinator. You bring in somebody who changes the scheme. Just saying. Now, what does this have to do with week one Packers-Bears? Not a whole lot, but that's going to be for tomorrow. Anyways, <laughs> that's good. why is that going to be for tomorrow? Because tomorrow we're going to talk about the Packers-Bears game. Why? Because the Packers and Bears play tomorrow. Wow. That's a thing. That's a real thing. Anyways, i got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Wednesday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.